All right. Ah. There's fucking, there's fucking Adolf. I'll just call you Adolf. I just wish John Claude would have said that. That would have been the best. <laughs> Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Woff. Hello, all. This is something different. We have uh, a movie that I hadn't seen before. Right. It's our first shot at it. It's our first shot at, uh, what were we originally going to call this? Uh, what was it? Did we have a name for this? Or we, we, we did. I got, I forgot because we talked about it so long ago. Yeah, we uh, talked about it like over a year ago. Was it one for one? Like one for one? Like this is mine and then next time. it's it, The whole premise oh. is... It's here's here's one that I've seen that you haven't, and then you do something that you've seen that I haven't. Right. I remember us talking about that, and I, we were very general about what the movie would be that you would pick. And then I was like, and then you can watch Scott Pilgrim. That's why. That's, that's why I think right. that's what I said. Yeah. I'll yeah. pick whatever I want, and then the next time we're watching Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Sure. Well, why don't you go ahead and and, uh, and roll this since you know this movie much better than I do. What we are today, since Corey hadn't seen it, we are we are talking about Robert Harmon's 1993 Jean Claude Van Damme action extravaganza, and partially a remake for Shane, <laughs> Nowhere to Run. Robert Harmon, probably best known for directing The Hitcher. Jean Claude Van Damme, probably best known for being Jean Claude Van Damme at this point, and uh, doing you know kickboxer and i think he had done cyborg mostly b movies up to this point i mean you know good trashy sci-fi and you know kind of enter the dragon knockoffs uh this is kind of his first um studio film and his first sort of shot at uh you know taking a crack at act as a real actor as opposed to just a fighting muscled up guy from brussels with a bunch of cute one-liners and uh, they put some real actors around him. So, uh, yeah, you know, we get uh, Roseanne Arquette. We get Kieran Culkin, the less known, but perhaps the better Culkin in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Levine, who was fresh off of uh, his fantastic role in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, we get Joss Ackland, probably best known for The Mighty Ducks. I'm kidding. <laughs> He's probably best known for Lethal Weapon 2. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> ah, diplomatic immunity, indeed. Then, then it's just sprinkled with a bunch of character actors. Tony Stark, my friend Alan Graff shows up in this movie, and we'll talk about Alan in a few seconds. And um, I think that's really kind of it, man. I mean, that's the, that's the high points, the low points, and, you know, all right, so let's go. Since we're totally, a, this is totally something new, I'm going to completely flip everything on its lid and just say. Sure. Uh, this is my second favorite Jean-Claude movie, like for of like all time. And it took two viewings and it was slotted. You had mentioned recently, either in private or maybe we mentioned on the show, it's probably his most Hollywood movie as far as like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the movie was developed, not with him in mind, but just, Hey, we had the story we want to tell. And he got cast in it. 
Right. And it's written by a very hot screenwriter at the time, Joe Esterhaas. But yeah, Joe Esterhaas was super hot. That guy was like farting million dollar scripts oh, at yeah. that point. Uh, you know, if it wasn't right. I mean, soon after Basic Instinct, it was Jade and Sliver and a bunch of other showgirls. Showgirls. Oh, showgirls, of course. Oh, yes. Boy, if you ever, yeah, man. If you ever need to have a, a good rundown of True, you want to see some trashy '90s? Movies. True '90s. That's a that's a horror movie. Yeah, man, for sure. It starts off like almost every '90s actioner starts off with a nice cold open. Yeah, and it's always some big action piece, but it's not a big action piece, but it's a nice stunt. Yes. But we see our our man Jean Claude. We don't know his name at this point. He's just on a bus transport. Interesting name on a, a title on the side of the bus, the Department of Federal Prisons or something like that. Yeah, it's it was weird. I, I was like, <laughs> it sounded so phony. Yeah, it's funny, man, because, uh, you know, have, I've had to I've had to clear prison name on a bus before. And it is not as easy as you think, but they just like it was like they totally gave up. They just were like, yeah, this will work. Yeah. Just no, this no one can say shit about this. Nobody can lay claim to this. Two guys right. 30 years later. <laughs> what was that? Oh, never mind. That's us. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things uh, I want to say before we start getting into the details of it, I love the fact that Jean-Claude just owns the fact that he's a criminal yes. in this movie. He's not a man trying to clear his name. He is not. He's a bank robber that got caught. Yeah. And, and some shit happened that wasn't necessarily, it was beyond his circumstances, but he still owned up. He's owning it. You know, he's doing his debts to society. Uh, he's not like, you know, I was wrong. That was great. I was glad they didn't play it that way. Right. You know, he's a man with a past. But like you're like you're pointing out, this movie is Shane, 100%. And if you haven't seen Shane, shame on you. Right. There, there was no pun there. I almost said the pun. That would have been terrible. No shame on you. Uh. <laughs> Ooh, uh. Uh, but if you've seen Logan, you've seen probably parts of Shane. Yes, because Logan is the same thing, the same kind of. It's like, oh, wait, so is Shane or so is Logan re, a remake of Nowhere to Run? Could be. I mean, you know, now that, now that you say it, maybe, maybe James Mangold secretly loves Nowhere to Run. Uh, huh. Well, it's kind of hard not to. You, you'd <laughs> yeah, have, man. If you were already vibing and said, my take for Logan is going to be Shane, you got to watch all the derivatives and, and, and rehashes in between. Absolutely. This, Pale Rider, whatever. Right. As this bus is driving along, it's full of a bunch of, in a bunch of hoods where I don't know where they're being transported to. It looks like they're driving on San Francisco Canyon road. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like, where are you yeah, guys? Man, it, it looks, it look it looks very, uh, I was like, where are they at, man? It looked like they're out, out towards, towards Simi Valley. Yeah. <laughs> so they're rolling along and then there's this, this is, was it a Trans Am? Was it a Trans Am? Yep. It's a 19, it's like a 85 or eight, you know, early, it's a mid eighties red T-top Trans Am. Then this transgender just like pulls up to the side of the bus and just speeds around him and turns in front of him and hits the brake and forces the bus to do a nice little stunt. Oh yeah, man. Good this stunt. Is, uh, this is my buddy, Alan Graff. This is his, this is his moment in the movie. He, he's got, he does two great things to the plot. He is behind the wheel of the bus as it's flipping and causing mayhem. 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 What does that mean? Uh, mayhem. It's what mayhem. Oh yeah. Well, we're about to plug some insurance company. So Alan Graff also did a very similar stunt in another 48 hours as the bus driver. That another 48 hour stunt is so ridiculous. Yeah. 
Graf's a good dude. Yeah. But that's another movie. And uh, I only wanted to mention it briefly. But here we go. So the bus flips. We're inside. It's fucking mayhem, right? There's people flying around. Guns being taken from guards. All hell's breaking loose. Jean-Claude looks out the window of the front of the bus and he's and he sees a familiar face well he at least reacts or he sees the moment that's happening right now and he goes oh shit now's my chance to get away so jean claude sees an opportunity to escape and he's yelling at the guard like hey yo my leg's broken hey! <laughs> my leg's broken and then as he's getting closer he's like my arm's broken like, which is it your leg or your arm and he <laughs> says some shitty line and then he pops him in the face a second time too. i think he punches him a couple of times while that's happening the other guards going to check out the driver of the of the car that spun out in front of him. Guard gets to the car, and what happens? Oh well, the guy pulls a gun on the guard. Whoa, what's going on here? I'm like, wait, what? This is not a random accident. This is a prison break. I'm like, whoa. Now see how I've now here's my question. Does Jean-Claude know this is happening before it happens? No, I don't think he does. Yeah. I think that uh, I think you know. I think he's he's just he's he's designed or he's resigned to his uh, his prison sentence and wherever he's going on to do the rest of it. And I, I, I'm gonna say that his former sidekick Billy. I think Billy's acting on his own, and Jean Claude is a victim of circumstance and a prisoner of the moment. Yep, if you will. Yep. But I think this. I don't know if he's recognized the car or because he doesn't really have a chance to see that it's somebody he knows. But Sam still right. busts out anyway. He's like, I'm hey, out of here. He sees his opportunity. As this is happening, he Billy brings the guard over with a, you know, with the his gun sitting under the kid, this dude's chin, and just says, unlock everybody. So they're unlocking all the prisoners on this bus. And there's probably a good couple dozen. Oh yeah. And they all and they all start scattering like like rats on a sinking ship. <laughs> they just and they're trying to steal Billy's car. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. what, what was he thinking? <laughs> Don't leave the keys in it, dude. You thought it was a good idea to to have a prison break and that none of the convicts that are sitting on that bus might want to take your car. <laughs> the best part about it is he's the one who initiates the whole accident, Billy. And he's the one that says, let them all go instead of saying, just let him go. I don't know. Uh, maybe that was the idea there was to not lend any kind of trace of who actually caused the accident. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But they get their car back. <laughs> Right. With a, oh, man, dude, that stunt, though. The guy's, like, getting ready to drive, or he's starting to come from the side, right? And John Kyle, like, jumps through the car. Oh, yeah. And tackles him from the other side. Yeah, this this is, I mean, we are also seeing Jean-Claude do stuff that's, like, you know, that's not particularly just kickboxing, pose and kick, a pose and punch for the first time. We're seeing him do, you know, we're seeing him do action stuff as opposed to martial arts stuff. And it stands out because he doesn't do it at all in the entire movie. He doesn't do any of that stuff. No. Even even when he's fighting like a trio of baddies, it's just your standard, I should say standard, it's well executed, but you're not getting the usual muscles from Brussels kind of right. kick fooey that he usually puts out there. Yeah. And it's another thing that's very endearing about the movie too, is like, oh man, this is just a straight actioner without it being completely absurd. And it's, and it's a, that's another thing too about the movie. It's very believable. And I think that's why his performance stands out so much. It's like, I think he recognized that this was something unique for him. And it wasn't, you know, I guess that we said earlier, it wasn't a movie built around him. So it wasn't, right. about, it wasn't about all that crazy shit that everybody expects from him in a movie. They take off in the car, but not before one of the guards, apparently a sharpshooter that can shoot through a dust storm 
left behind. Well, by the he's car. Also, yeah, right. He's also the guy who wrecked the bus. <laughs> right. No concussion or anything, right? No, not at all. But dude, like when he pulls out his rifle and he's like looking through a scope, I'm like, and and then they have that reverse shot, like looking over his shoulder. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to shoot homeboy in the neck, aren't you? And I'm not going to buy it because you can barely see the car <laughs> in the shot. I'm like, there's no way you can see that guy. He's a regular Martin Riggs. But as they're driving away, homeboy pulls out his gun, concussion and all, and is able to put a nice shot through Billy's neck. One shot, one kill. Good makeup on that, by the way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was very believable. And But, you know, he's dead. And this is what he gets for, you know, making Sam have to serve time. Because as it turns out, Billy was his partner in crime when they robbed the bank. And Billy is responsible for the killing of a bank guard, which Sam took the fall for. And which is why this is now happening. And, I, and this is probably why I agree with you that Sam didn't know this break was happening. This is Billy saying, I got, I owe my friend this and I have to do this. Otherwise he's never going to get out of jail. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Billy was not the brains of the operation. <laughs> he probably always, you know, he's that guy. He's that your pal, the one who always acts before he thinks. And this is another example of acting before you think his last. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just say it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I can't say they get away, but Sam does. Sam gets away. And uh, next time we see Sam and Billy, <laughs> Sam's got him over his shoulder, <laughs> carrying him so he can bury him. Yeah, man. This oh. is a sad moment. Billy's dead. Oh, Billy. <laughs> oh, Billy. <laughs> he, we, we, we get him burying Billy over a montage where he's opening the money case and he's listening to the recorder because Billy had put a record. There's, for some reason, Billy, maybe he knew he, this wasn't going to go is planned and it could go south. So there's a nice piece of exposition. There's a cassette recorder in a box with, I don't remember exactly how much money I'm going to say half a million dollars. And he play, he hits play. And then we hear Billy saying, look, man, sorry, Sam, uh, you know, you, you took the fall from me, blah, blah, blah. This is how I'm making it up to you. If you're listening to this, I probably didn't make it, uh, take the money and run. Get the fuck out of Dodge. I owe you my life. Debt repaid. But there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to run. And running's not an option for Sam. Uh, so, yeah. So then we, first we cut to Auckland and his peeps, and they're talking shit about somebody we haven't met yet. You know, there's a, they're, they're planning, they're doing something. They obviously work for some oil company or, you know, some sort of land development bullshit you know something that was very popular in the late 80s early 90s it's taken uh you know all these corporations trying to buy up farmland and you know that kind of such so we're getting a little taste of that do we see clyde first in the house we might with her kids yeah i think we do so right after sam goes through all the effects and the care package that billy left for him because essentially that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, but, totally. But for a guy that, you know, they can't say something about Billy, right? You know, he's not exactly, uh, apparently anyway, he's not a good job at executing anything. Well, I mean, he's good at job at executing a bank guard, but, you know, it's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> no, exactly. He's good at murder. He's good at murdering people. At least one person. This is kind of where Sam is setting up camp now. It's right down by this pond where you see him going through all of his effects. and basically decides to camp out there. We also see him before that, 
and he hits by a store to pick up like food and stuff, uh, some steaks and some, and some whiskey. <laughs> right. And he's wearing a suit because for some reason, Billy thought it would be great to leave him a suit. Right. And it's kind of drawing attention <laughs> right. from the old man behind the counter. And then you're hearing it in the background while he's having this exchange with the, with the clerk at this market, you're hearing a radio description description of about the accident that happened the day before. By the way, that was really nice. I love when movies do this and they're smart about it. It's let you know how much time has passed. Yeah. Without being too like, uh, you know, over the top. So he has a confrontation with the, the clerk because the clerk can hear it on the, on the, the news radio broadcast about the prison break and from the bus crash and everything. So he's, he realizes really quickly that this dude standing in front of him who says he's out hunting kind of fits the bill. Yeah. Out hunting in a three piece suit. <laughs> <In a> three piece <laughs> suit. You know, you know what this reminds me of? And, and it's kind of funny because I could think about was that moment in no country for old men, but the coin flip scene. Yes. It, yeah. It, it was so much like it. It was really bizarre. I'm like, oh, Coen brothers are stealing from nowhere to run. Hey, well, you know, they have a good taste. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure they sit down and watch a Van Damme movie every now and again. And I, by the way, I mean, even if that scene was in the book for uh, No Country, I mean, right. there's no doubt that it was the kind of bit off that. And it's fine. I, I, it's, it's, sure. it's a great little exchange. Take your inspiration where you find it. We're still learning about Sam. He, you know, we don't know what kind of a dirtbag he is because when you see him at the market, he hasn't listened to the tape yet. Right. He hasn't settled in and listened to all that stuff because you don't know what kind of guy he is. Sam at this point it's, it's a lot like Shane you don't know what kind of at that point in in the movie you don't know who this guy is you don't know what kind right. of what his motives are um but off he goes and next time like I said next time you see him is that description we had earlier about him just kind of going through his effects it gets dark and Sam's trying she's kind of checking out the lay of the land and everything and the things nearby him and he comes across his farmhouse that uh, Rosanna Arquette is the owner of. Right. And at this point, we don't know what kind of person Sam, he could be a serial rapist for all we know. He's, we, and he's kind of lingering around the yard. So we're like, what is he doing? And Clyde is Rosanna Arquette's character. She's out there kind of shooting the breeze with some law enforcement guy. We don't, we don't, Deputy we, Fife. Yeah. We have, call him Fife. <laughs> he's, his name's, uh, we find out later on, this is a, his is Sheriff Lonnie Poole. Lonnie Poole. Lonnie Poole. Lonnie Poole, again, another one of those names, right, from, 90, from the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Jeez. Now, there's something that's in there, and I texted you about it because it just annoyed the shit out of me the first time I heard it because you get it all at once. You know, you get her, Rosanna Arquette's character name is Clyde, C-L-Y-D-I-E. I've never heard anybody called Clyde, but whatever. This guy, she's apparently having some kind of interaction with, maybe they're, you know, they're banging. I don't know what's going on with them. His first name is Lonnie. I'm like, wait, Lonnie and Clyde? Yeah, I know. Come on. Somebody being a little too clever for their own good. Yeah. I don't I don't think Esther Haas Maybe. did that. <laughs> it's not it's not his it's not his kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there there are four writers listed, so who knows? He eventually leaves and after he kind of checks everything out, Sam will come back later on and break into the house. Well, actually it breaks into the house like later on, right? And he, he comes and somebody in the house hears him. Yeah. Mookie. The little Mookie.
Well, dude, and like that is such a thing of like, because to me, like, I, I'm wondering if somebody was a New York Mets fan and a Mookie Wilson fan at that point, because the only person I'd ever heard named Mookie uh, at that point in my life was him, you know, the hero of the 1986 World Series. Kieran's real name and the his character's name in the movie is Mike, but you never, no one ever calls him Mike. No, it's no always one calls Mookie. Him Mike, ever. Mookie. Like, it's it's obvious that Mookie was the nickname that his father gave him, who's long gone. And we did they ever explain that? I mean, we know he's dead, but we yeah. don't. He had a tumor, brain tumor. Oh, that's right. She, she, we see it during the family moment when they're all, you know, they're watching the watching the wedding. All right. Oh no, they actually had that. <laughs> they had that sixteen mil projector. Yeah, exactly. It was yes, you're right. They're they're projecting it in the living room on a little uh, pull down schoolhouse type. Uh, Movie screen. It's another one of those production choices that they had in there to kind of really Which sell. Which is cool. Right. Because they're trying to sell a, a a more timeless story as opposed to something right. rooted in 1993. Yeah. No, no, totally. And they, they do a really good job of that uh, for the most part. You know, it helps that there are no cell phones yet. But um, they do paint a nice picture of, uh, you know, of when is this? It kind of has that uh, eternal feeling to it. Right. Well, so Sam sneaks back into the house, to, you know, while Clyde's taking a shower and that's when Mookie hears him. And, uh, but he snags the salt and pieces out because he needs salt for his steaks. <laughs> he got the market. Yeah. I love the fact that the kid, we get the little ET moment with Mookie. Right. Yeah. He is <laughs> the ball. He throws the ball down the stairs outside. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's very cute. Because the next morning, it's Mookie and uh, the little his uh, his little sister Bree and Clyde are at breakfast table. Kieran gets his uh, I'm going to keep doing this. And Mookie gets his his oatmeal, and he's kind of tastes. Mom, I need some salt for this. Now I don't know about you, uh, when I was probably what, what would you say, Kieran? Is there like eight? Nine? Oh, he's like about, yeah, he's not, not nine or ten, older, maybe eight yeah. or nine. He's maybe eight or nine, eight or nine yes. I would, I would, who reaches, what nine-year-old reaches for salt for his oatmeal? Uh, my question would be like, I always know when I make oatmeal, I always put a little salt in the water before it boils. So I don't know, maybe that's a thing. Cause yeah, I just thought I, that everybody did it. Brown sugar, man. No, but I mean, when you're boiling the water. Well, yeah, I know, I know, but, but, but I've watched plenty of people make, uh, I put salt in their oatmeal that's done cooking. It's gross. Anyway. Oh, oh really? Yeah. I, but it's, it's weird. I get, it's, it's weird for a nine-year-old to do that. Uh, yeah, maybe but, it was a thing from his dad. Maybe right, that's what prob- gave him an aneurysm. <laughs> Too much salt. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then mom busting his chops, going, you don't need any salt, homie. And I go, did you guys hear E.T. last night? Mookie's asking him. E.T. I heard E.T. He's in the house. He was in here, rumbling around, stealing the salt. So it's there's a little moment there. I I, I Again, I think it was cute. Um Maybe Karen might be a little too old for that. Maybe it'd be okay if Brie kind of got in on that, you know, because she's clearly playing the the Gertie character in this moment, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, if you think about it, it's the the ET moment's great because you know, ET is very much about divorce or at least separation from the father. There's no father around. There's no father. There's no husband. It's you know, there's just Sans one older brother, but it's the whole ET scenario. Sure, absolutely. You know, I think it was also, you know, it's probably just easy to riff off of, uh, you know, I'm sure the movie was probably written closer to the time E.T. had been released. 
originally. You know, it probably sure. took years for this to get because otherwise, you know. But uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. I I would have a feeling that maybe those other people that were attached to or to, to the credit for writing, they probably were the OG writers on it, and then Esther Haas came in to to do what he does, and uh, that's probably what happened there. Considering you know things, I don't remember. I don't remember because at that time you were hearing about million dollar screenplay song, and I don't remember his name being at the front of Variety or Hollywood Reporter for this movie being sold. Well, Leslie Bohm, who was one of the other credit writers, also wrote Taken, Dante's Peak, Daylight, the Stallone movie. So, you know, she was, I'm sure maybe her and Randy Feldman were the, uh, yeah, he wrote Tango and Cash and Metro. So, you know, they probably, they, maybe they brought those guys in to do a polish. I'm not sure. Or somebody did a polish. Someone's polishing something. Somebody's polishing somebody's thing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> So again, after they're done having breakfast, we cut to Sam and he's out, you know, naked out. in a lake. <laughs> he's he's out in his pond, like, yeah, you know, doing his thing, washing yeah. up. He just got out of prison, man. And Mookie first time he rolls. hasn't worried to worry about dropping the rope in the soap. <laughs> Mookie rolls up on him and standing next to him starts criticizing his uh, fire his, building skills. His fire building skills. <laughs> you gotta move the air around. Don't you know anything? You little shit. You little bastard. <laughs> Give me my clothes. Uh, yeah, he's. And then, and then, uh, he's There's a moment where I laugh, dude, and I'm thinking, God, this is kind of creepy. He's like, come out of the water. And he's starting to come out naked at a young boy. And then suddenly there's a young girl runs out of the woods when, well, it, yeah, when his I, sister runs up. Well, what's funny was like when you, when you see Bree in the background kind of walking at first, I don't really, I didn't recognize the way they had it framed. And he's actually getting out of water because all three of them were in the shot at one time. I couldn't yeah. tell it was the little girl. I thought, is there a crew member walking around in the background? Who is that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he sees her, you know, he gets about half his butt crack showing. And then he turns right around, walks back in the water. Well, more than that. We don't see it. Right. <laughs> she does. But apparently you find out later on she does. Yes. Because <laughs> there's penis conversation later, which is, again, weird yes there's nothing, there's nothing like being reminded of a seriously awkward moment in this movie and yeah there's a few anyway. of them and it's it's funny because you know that obviously again things that they probably would not fly now in a movie but even back then i really never thought much about them because they were just so like man, whatever um you know different time different place yeah well somewhere along the way here we are starting to see a little bit more what's going on in the area. We've been so isolated with the farmhouse and nearby where the nearby pond where Sam has been kind of hiding out. We cut this land development that's going on. And inside of one of the trailers is our, our boy, Josh Auckland. Yeah. Adolf. Ted Levine. Again, like you noted, just right after doing right off his silence of the lambs performance and in walks, the guy that we saw earlier. Yeah. The oh, look, deputy. It's, it's Lonnie. Lonnie. Oh, wait, you know, do we have this out of order? Uh, I think all we skipped was, you know. Oh, uh, some... you know what? You were right the first time that we see this. I mean, before we see uh, Clyde, because this is where Mr. Dunstan, Ted Levine's character, starts busting his chops, Lonnie's chops about about doing her. About, like yeah, he's been, about he's been, banging. He's about banging her. Yeah. But we don't know that until we see them later on having their Together. moment on their porch. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yes. So, you know, Lonnie walks in, there's Adolf and Jamie Gump <laughs> sitting together. And if he, if he only watched more movies, he would have fucking turned around and left. But because he's been, you know, he's, he, he, all he's been doing is trying to bang Roseanne Arquette and swindle her out of her house. Cause Lonnie's kind of a shit bag, which we'll figure out soon. We discover what kind of a shit bag he is. Cause once he gets out of the trailer, cause you think, oh man, he's just maybe, oh, maybe he's, he's just, just being bossed around a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe he's just a small town sheriff and he's just kind of a, maybe he's just a loser. No, he opens up an envelope with a bunch of cash in it. I'm like, oh, he's not a loser. He's an asshole. He's and a, a dirty, he's a, he's a dirty <laughs> sheriff. Yeah. Fast forward back to where we were at earlier. And there's, there's a moment with, with uh, Hale, that that's the Joss Auckland character. He's basically, uh, you know, pressing Ted Levine's character a little bit. You know what? You're going to have to turn up the heat a little bit on this situation. Right. And I don't remember what happens at this moment or later on. But when Dunson is talking to his thugs, he's like, oh, I thought he's been, I thought this sheriff's been oh, paid yeah. off. Oh, yeah, this is a great like, line. It is a great line. Like, I thought the sheriff's been paid off. I guess, well, he's been paid, but I don't know if he's been bought. Right. Oh, and, that's that's a yeah. Nestor Hawes line. <laughs> totally. And, and dude, and Levine, I mean, his delivery is perfect. Yeah. I have to say, I love him in his bad guy stage. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, he's like the first time in a Van Damme movie where he, they had a real actor play the villain. Right. Other than somebody that, you know, just posed and like, you know, grunted these lines. I mean, this guy's, you know, he's a three-dimensional. We're getting a bad guy who's fired on every cylinder. Yeah. He's so good in this movie and, and, and obviously in Silence of the Lambs. Like, I don't know if I could go back and watch. Dude, I could never watch Monk. That's what I mean. That's what I was, I was, I couldn't do them. It was on the tip of my tongue. I can't watch Monk ever again after watching this. No. You know, I, I was able to get past the Jamie Gump thing, which is really crazy, right? Because I shouldn't be, because that's probably, right. he's a far, he's far, he's a far more degenerate person yeah. than that's Mr. That's a branding Dunstan iron is. on the fucking imprint on, inside of your brain, but yeah. yes. <laughs> but one of the things too, we find out from, from a little exposition with Hale, he presses Levine, just says, there's two houses that are in the way here and it's right in the middle of all my shit. Right. And if I don't get them out of there, end of the this month. whole thing, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Not just the deal, his business, everything, all of it. As we find out again, through some exposition that, that Hale has when he's presenting his, uh, he's his, uh, sales pitch to the town and all the people that live in it, he's got a billion dollars staked in this, in this, uh, project. Well, obviously, he's not going to let some some widowed uh, mother of two get in his way. Not this guy. Not Adolf. But we're discovering that they tried the the easy way. She's refusing to sign anything. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to buy her out. They're you know they're they're doing the thing that they do. You know, here's an offer, but she's like, no, no thanks. And it was probably when you talk about how much money is involved here. I don't care what kind of dirty, you know, dirty uh, businessman you are. They probably offered a a decent amount of money. Yeah, it wasn't like the money. It, it wasn't about the money. It, uh, they, I'm sure whatever it was above market value. It's just she didn't want to move. Right. This is all tied to the, the loss of her husband and them trying to cling to a life that they don't have anymore. Yep. With that they lost when her husband passed. Right. Because there's nowhere for her to run either. <laughs> Gee, but she doesn't want to run. No, I'm just saying she she does she does but she doesn't. She doesn't know. She doesn't know that she wants to run. And this is how you know this movie was written way before the '90s because they don't say nowhere to run in the movie. Yeah, which is awesome. 
Yeah. Which it would have been great if they did. There's nowhere to run, Sam. <laughs> Hiding out in the barn. Yeah. The, the, say it like, uh, you know, with the West, with the, with the South African accent. South Africa. So nothing's working out for, for Hale and his, and, and him doing things the right way and trying to just yeah. buy her out. So again, leans on Levine to send some of his thugs down there. Some thugs going down there to yeah, kind of jack the place up. Scare the shit out of her. Let's make her sell. Her and the kids pull up in the truck at night. It's three three baddies, and they're just want to start some shit. And they're 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 like throwing, they're slamming her car with chains. Yeah, and they break the fucking windshield. They're trying to they're, pull her out by her hair. It was it's it's nasty. They're throwing a scare, but it's it's pretty it's it's a pretty hard scare. Yeah, if you think about that, that's that's a, that's some elevation from what it was. Yeah, to that. Right. Hey, here's some here's an offer for your house. And then right to fucking three guys. Maybe they're going to rape her in front of her kid. I don't know, man. It, 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 it's, it's, it's pretty hardcore. It elevates fast. Yes. Make this nice little camera move. And there's Sam. Leave her alone. <laughs> Leave her alone. I mentioned this before we started uh, talking about the movie. And I'm going to say something that once I say it, you're going to see it in the next uh, movie that you see Jean-Claude in. And you're never going to be able to unsee it. I will take your hate mail. He has his head tick where he kind of like, like cocks his head really fast, like snaps it just before he's about to deliver a terrible one-liner. He does it in almost every one of his movies and he does it briefly in this, but it's not followed by a terrible line because he does it so often in movies that when he doesn't do it, it's just as noticeable. And so my Jean-Claude cinematic vocabulary is pretty thick. So when I don't see it happening, it's weird. I wonder if he, if wonder, I wonder if it's a trigger mechanism so that he, his accent, you know what I mean? I don't know. You know, maybe it was something that he learned to do, like when he had to deliver something important and he was trying hard to bury that accent. I don't know. But dude, I went back after you texted me and I looked at the end of the movie. <laughs> sure as shit. He does it. He does it. And it's just, it, he does it. He does it once in this movie, but he does it like a dozen in every other movie that he does a dozen times. It's just, it happens a lot in this moment right now, even when you got a, a line that he delivers, I'm like his, he doesn't, like we mentioned earlier, this movie's not full of a bunch of one liners that you would normally find in one of his movies. No, it's forcing him that when he has dialogue, it's not a bunch of, I don't know. Well, it's not, it's not, a, it's not dialogue mixed in with a bunch of, you know, quick cuts of like his bicep flexing and sweat glistening off of his abdomen. It's, you know, he's actually having to speak with his clothes on and, uh, you know, and do actor stuff as opposed to, you know, actor stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has to act. He's, he's being, you know, he's, he's doing stuff like real actors, but that's what I, that's another thing too. I have a feeling his, his accent isn't nearly as defined in this. No, uh, not at all. There, there's lots of things that about this, that, that helps sell like you, like Shane, he, he says very little. Uh, he's more of a man of principles and action. And we see that without him having to tell us, He's a classic anti-hero, you know, doesn't say much when he does. You listen, his actions speak louder than his words, which kind of made this a perfect thing for him. Yeah. And he's, and again, this is one of those moments where you get to see like, all right, I get to see some, you know, Jean-Claude ass kicking, but it's not the usual fare. He just does what he has to do to dispatch these three guys. And that's it. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing like, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say there's no breaking arms, but he breaks the arm of the first person. 
<laughs> that he attacks or yep. that attacks him. But that's about as close as it gets to the usual right. Jean-Claude Fair. You're not getting the greatest hits. I don't think the only time he kicks anybody is he just kicks somebody in the slats, right? And I don't think he yeah. like, kicks anybody in the face. He doesn't give him the muscle from Brussels high high kick or anything like that. He nope. Just... He doesn't do the splits in this movie. And he doesn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't give anybody the the, uh, the patented roundhouse. Which he seems to do like a hundred times every movie. And, and he looks great in Aviators. I mean, he looks very much, it's funny, you know, on the motorcycle, he's a leather J. He looks very Tom Cruise, Top Gunnish, you know, or Kevin Costner in Revenge. Yeah. One of the things, uh, you know, usually in movies like this, I'm like going, well, how long, how long was he in prison for? You know, it's dumb little things like that. But I never th- worried about that in this movie because nope. you just think about how disconnected from society is he? Those kind of, you think about those things when someone has a jailbreak like like that. And how recent is it? I don't remember Rosanna Arquette ever getting naked in a movie before. I mean, I'm obviously I just don't remember it. But man, she's she's not afraid of it in this movie. No man, not at all. Uh, I want to say there's maybe God, maybe the big blue. <laughs> um, there wow. was something. Three else. episodes later, it's coming up again. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Uh, there was something. There, I feel like there maybe there was something else, uh, but I, you know, off the top of my head, because it doesn't really matter. Maybe in After Hours, we see her naked, dead on the bed. Um, oh yeah, good call. I think so. Yeah, I mean, God, I dude, I I had such Rosanna Arquette crush. I mean, I still do. I think she's awesome, um, but especially from like you know, Baby, It's You, up yes. through you know, uh. up through the mid nineties. Um, you know, I've seen a dude. I've seen things like. Nobody's fool with her and Eric Roberts because I love Rosie Arquette, <laughs> which uh, you know is is probably not a movie that everybody knows. Uh, but yeah, man, she's she's great in it. Uh, in Levine, man, Levine is dude. Levine is kind of like the I, I I gotta say I wanted more Levine. Like every time he comes on the screen, I was just like, yeah, yeah, because he's just bringing it, and it's you know I'm digging the shit out of what he's bringing to this party. I wish. We could have seen him more, but then again, at the same time, the way the movie's pace and everything like that, I think, I think we see him as much as, as much as we need to. Yeah, totally. It's the, it's the Spicoli thing. If you, you know, more Spicoli or less Spicoli, you know, you got to find the perfect balance of Spicoli because Fast Times could suck if it had too much Spicoli, you know, and it, this movie's not called Dunstan. It's called Nowhere to Run. I think that's, you know, it, it's true for a lot of movies and, uh, you know, in this one, I mean, he's great, but I don't find him to be chewing the scenery. I just find what he's doing super interesting, and I think he's doing it really well. Uh, soon after um, this this last interaction with uh, these thugs and everything is when we, uh, the aforementioned uh, sales pitch that's going to the townspeople that Hale's given them. One of the last two properties uh, that's not Clyde's, the one property that's left over is somebody, I forget the cat's name, but he stands up and goes, this is bullshit. I'm not selling. You suck. And I'm out. Off he goes. And the next time we're not in this room in a sales pitch, Mookie comes running to Sam and says, oh, my God, the neighbor's house is on fire. The, the barn is on fire. And he goes, so, the, so tell him to call 911. Does he tell him to call 911? Call 911. Mookie, call 911. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he said. Yes. Something like that. Sam goes running to find the barn on fire and the the wife 
is standing outside the barn going home. Oh, the husband's still inside, whatever the hell his name was. And he goes in there to help him. And the man's just trying to get the horses out of there. Cause there's uh, you know, four or five horses in there. And, uh, Sam goes in there again and risking his life to help, uh, help get the horses out. And as they're getting the last horse out top of the barn collapses on top of, on top of Tom, Tom's like, oh, my, oh. <laughs> oh, my, my arm, leave me, go, leave me, save yourselves. Have a threesome with, with my wife and Clyde. You, you French guy, <laughs> do them. <laughs> do what you guys do. Do what you do when you did what you did to me, Sam. But hell no, man. Sam's not that kind of guy because he knows he's going to get blamed for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> he's been down this road. That's how he got into prison. I'm I'm in your barn right now because uh, I got wronged. So <laughs> Right. I, I'm, I'm a fugitive from the law and I'm in your barn and they're going to blame this shit on me. Now, let me throw back that real quick. Uh, the death of Billy really doesn't hit him very hard. <laughs> hey, look, man, I'm saying probably he's got an honorable streak, but he's, he knew Billy was a piece of shit. And, uh, you know, he was, but he had come to peace with during his time. So they, they're able to get all the horses cleared out and then rescue Tom. But the, the barn's still on fire. But now the fire trail's leading right over to the big giant propane. Oh, yeah, man. It's about to get ugly. It's about to blow. What does Sam do? Sam goes, oh, shit. Fuck. There's a big old water tank up there on top of that tower. Oh, look, there's a there's a bulldozer. And I just learned how to drive one in prison. Because that's the skill I chose to learn. <laughs> I chose bulldozing. <laughs> people, some people want to be uh, uh, yeah. florists. Some people want to become carpenters. I said, you yeah. know what? I want to learn how to drive a bulldozer. I want to be a grader. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you're from Quebec. I want to do this. I'm going to grade. I'm going to grade the road. <laughs> Everybody gets safe. Hide behind some shit because this might blow up. Gets in the bulldozer and pushes the water tank over and water splashes all over the fire and puts the fire out and the tanks don't blow up. And everybody's, uh, yes, and the family and the farm and the horses are all saved. Sam is such a hero. Sam is a hero, but he can't stick around to take a pat on the back because he's also a fugitive. He's a fugitive. He's not looking for the one-armed man. He's just... Looking no. for a way out because he's got nowhere to run. That's right. <laughs> no way out because there's nowhere to run. You know, Corey, it's almost like he's caught between a past he can't outrun and a fight he can't walk away from. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> so the horses are safe. So the horses are safe. Out. Nothing's blown up. But well, you can't call 911 because fucking sheriff's on the take. Oh, that's right. That son of a bitch. Yeah, somebody, yeah, he probably just picked, yeah, sure. He probably set the fire. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, he was around. He knew about it. Well, I think we kind of know who set the fire, though. It's not, because later on. Right, we do know who set it. Yeah. So when the barn's on fire, I kept thinking, man, well, at least there's nothing in there that's going to blow up. Right. And, that, and as soon as I say that, that's when you see the fire trail go towards the tanks. And Dude. I'm like... Oh, yeah, okay. I, it was a good piece of visual storytelling because I was just like the same thing. I was like, oh, the fucking barn's just going to go up. They're going to get all the horses out and he's going to drag the guy out, and then they're all going to stand there in a shot as the barn burns. But no, they one upped it. You know, there's no explosions in this movie. No, that's another reason why I feel like it's it, it's kind of rooted in uh, an old sensibility and not uh, not an 80s or 90s kind of movie. It, right. It doesn't get all bad boys on us. No. And it's good. We don't need to see everything exploded to a fireball because the world doesn't really work that way. Well, Sheriff Lonnie, not so D 
deep pool. Yeah, there you go. We know, you know, he's got a big boner for Clyde. Yeah, of course, because she's a woman. I mean, you know, she's she's kind of a strong woman, but she needs a little, you know, she needs a little every now and then. He's been super suspicious of Sam, who Clyde's been pitching to to Lonnie uh, yeah. as being her her third cousin from third Quebec. Cousin. By the way, I think it's so funny how she they keep talking about him being from Quebec. Now, does he really? Does he just pick up on what she says and continues the the, the facade? Because he says Quebec like three or four times. Right, he says it to the highway patrolman yeah. later. Yeah. Well, no, the highway patrolman says it to him, right? No, he says it to the highway patrolman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And highway patrolman says to him, you ride that bike down here? Sure, all the way from Quebec. We know Sheriff Lonnie is super suspicious of Sam, regardless of the uh, of the right. what's been. Because he knows what's going on here. And he's seen Sam's penis. <laughs> Everybody seems to have seen Sam's penis in this movie. Right. Nobody's nobody's touched it yet, but everybody's seen it. And, it's be- and it ends up becoming like dinner conversation, too, by the way. Yeah, or of course. Breakfast, co- breakfast conversation. Breakfast conversation. But apparently it's just average, if you ask Rosanna. Yeah. And this is before Clyde and, and Sam have bumped uglies. This hasn't happened yet. Right. Because we know, we know they're coming. Yeah. But, you know, to have the little girl say, he's got a big penis. Right. Like what? Dude, that was and a I'm weird like, moment, right? Right. So let's remind the audience about that really weird moment. That's just terrible. Right? So he comes out of the lake. <laughs> Obviously, the two kids have seen his penis. He goes back into the water. Cut to the breakfast table. <laughs> After the shower scene. Where Lonnie confronts him and she walks in on him and gives him the whole third cousin from Quebec pitch. Yeah. So then, the next time you're having to sit around and having a breakfast conversation, I'm talking about dongs. Yeah, because that's what totally. that's because that's what you want to have going on with your your six year old daughter and your nine year old son. Well, you know, the, there's the no stranger. father around. Somebody's got to look. I thought it was great that they weren't make. You know, they, they weren't trying to hide the fact. You know, men have dongs, women don't. You know, <laughs> she knew what was up. Those kids grew up in the country, man. It's country, Corey. <laughs> Again, Lonnie's on to him, and and he knows that Sam's been helping her out. Sniffing around. And he finds out who Sam really is. Yeah. And he basically just says, like, man, if you care about her, and I think you do, get out of here. I won't. I'll give you a chance to get a head start. Right. Just get out of here. But not before he beats him down. <laughs> right. We've been kind of skirting the conversation of the motorcycle that he's been working on. With, which was, with, with Mookie. Because it's something him and his dad did. Yeah. So they got this Triumph motorcycle in the back and that uh, home movie they were watching earlier uh, that, that we mentioned earlier. You see Tom, the deceased husband, like bringing the the Triumph out the back of a, of a truck and everything like that. So you go, oh, that's the motorcycle. Uh, Sheriff Lonnie gets gets a hold of him, gets a hold of, uh, of Sam and just says, you know, get out of here. But let me go ahead and handcuff you to this, to the barn here. Maybe. <laughs> Let me beat right. the shit out of you for a little bit. Oh, I'm gonna take my nightstick out too and take care of business. The funny thing is, what kind of leads him to do this is Lonnie says to to Dunstan, to Ted Levine's character, "Hey man, give me a shot. Let me have first crack at this. <laughs> let me let me uh let me go and beat his ass." The funny thing about that is, like, wait, what makes you think you're gonna be able to pull that off? He's already beat the shit out of these three guys, broke right. that one dude's arm. What do you think was going to come come from this? But anyway, but he approaches him while Clyde's not there so we can kind of beat his ass and threaten him and all that stuff. 
Yeah, you know. But Sam buys into it and it goes, yeah, you're right. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right. He thinks it. You see it on his face. There's actually two different scenes where we're sandwiching together. When Lonnie beats him, he leaves him just laying on the floor. And, and then Clyde comes home with the kids. and Right. And she's kind of nursing him a little bit. This is when they bump uglies. Right. And it's not till later on that he finds out who he is. And then he just says, hey, get out of here while you have a chance. He's trying not to make a big deal about it because for a couple of reasons. One. He doesn't want to call the FBI because right. the FBI because that's the thing. That's how he finds out because the FBI was just in his office. Right. So that's how he finds out that Sam is a fugitive. Not the third cousin from Quebec. And that's the thing, too. Clyde's been giving him the cold shoulder, too. Giving Lonnie the cold shoulders. I don't, you son of a bitch. I don't want to do you anymore. Yeah. You're yesterday's news, bro. But anyway, so someone, Lonnie just comes to him and just says, yeah, yeah, peace out, dude. You know, take care of business. Because Lonnie doesn't want the FBI poking around because then right because he's on the take he's dirty and this is a chance to get him out of there and then so he can hook back up with Clyde. we don't but we don't see Sam take off on the motorcycle we just <laughs> we, we just see him in a cafe later on highway patrol comes in hey fucks up his get, breakfast yeah asshole yeah by the way he's really big on the steak does he have a steak and eggs or some shit dude he's a steak eater he was in he prison loves steak. probably didn't get much of it for seven years <laughs> right <laughs> gotta get it when you can Highway Patrol is giving him hell, right? State police or whatever the crap he's supposed to be. Yeah, giving him all the usual bullshit questions. That, like, you know. It's as if he knows who he is. He's questioning about the motorcycle out front, but more in passive, just just being a cop. Yeah, totally. He's just trying to ruin someone's day, not really looking, but, you know. You're ruining my meal, dude. Yeah, he's just, just suspicious asshole cop. I love that when he gets up. Well, I love when Sam gets up and leaves and the... The cafe guy says to the cop, "Was like, well, what can I do? Because I don't know. I think I should just finish his steak. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just finish his steak, steak, I guess. Just sitting there. Yeah, I'll just eat that. The next time we see Sam, he's out in the woods. And he kind of senses something. He's looking around. He sees people. It's very Rambo with... at this moment. This is yes. very from First Blood. First Blood. Yep. 100%. He does this very John Woo moment where he, he slow-mo jumps onto the Triumph. Kickstarts it and fucking takes off in one move. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, there's like state state troopers everywhere, opening yeah. fire, you know, chasing them on horseback. Mounted, yeah, dude, mounted, sh- mounted sheriffs. I mean, it's it's huge. It's like a giant manhunt has suddenly, right. like suddenly, it's turned into the fugitive. The clear recognition of Shane is the movie itself, but throwing everybody in a bunch of horses. I yeah, that totally, was really great. And this yeah. is a great sequence too, man. Because there's oh, some serious, really some there's some serious stuntmen taking some serious shit right here. Yeah, that one guy that gets knocked off and then he like he hits. I think he hits him on the motorcycle. He tosses him in that little pond. Oh yeah, what a great stunt! Because you because they follow him all the way through. You don't see anybody's face being hidden. He just kind of like you can just see the anguish in, his, in the stuntman's face. Like, dude, I just got knocked on my ass. Dude, and then the, the way the chase culminates down through that little valley up and then up onto those peaks, dude, I mean, they're doing it. There's no drone shots. No, it's so good, dude. And 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 that stuntman on the bike is just killing it, dude. Oh, yeah. Dude, you're a dead man. Either side, you fall down, you're a dead man. And yep. there's and they're so wide on it. There's no, there's no, nothing no one for him to fall off. Nothing being skirted here. This is no. like 100% just balls to the wall. That guy looks on the motorcycle. That guy looks like he's trying to run from the law. There's no cinematic aspect to it. It's just this dude is on the run. I love how he gets to that one point, realizes he's got only one way to go, does a nice little U-turn, even while 
he's got, I think it was like a Jeep or something like that. Some kind of like old Bronco or whatever, all up his ass. He turns around and just starts working his way down the hill. It's like, so yeah, some good motorcycle work, great camera work kind of selling. And it's not a whole bunch of close-ups with some kind of weird, no, uh, no, not with a bunch of cuts and stuff. Done editing. It, it's, it's sells it just like a Western would have. We just, it was super wide shot by the way, man, I really wish this movie was in scope. I know. Right. It's, I think my, my DVD is it's one eight five. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is. This movie, yes, would benefit certainly from that. But you know, at the same time, really to this point, until you see this chase and and these really um, wide shots that we're seeing now with the with them on the motorcycle, there's not a lot going on that would really benefit from that type of framing and aspect ratio. No, we. I mean, only in only in moments like this, I think, would it really right. benefit. Right, because there's it's because they they kept, they're trying to create a certain intimacy with the one eight five, and it's mostly medium shots and and close ups of everybody because yeah. they're and even when you get to those moments, I mean, of scope like that, you don't need it to be that wide. It, again, I just feel in that moment that would have been great to to see that 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 chase sequence in in two three five or something like that. Uh, he ends up getting away because they can't follow him. <laughs> right. He just pieces out. And they're calling, get a chopper, get a chopper. Yeah, but we never see a chopper. Except for the chopper that's shooting the Right, shot. except for the one with the camera in it. Yeah. <laughs> he gets to his crossroad where he's just kind of sitting there, right? He's literally at a four-way. He's got a choice, man. He can continue doing what he had planned on doing and getting the F out of Dodge or... He can go help Clyde because he just realizes if I bail, she's done. Something's going to bad's going to happen to her. Right. He knows he's got to go back. Yeah. To her and the kids. So he goes. When he gets back there, he finds Dunstan and Hale forcing her to, to sign the sales agreement. And at this point, oh, yeah. We don't have Dun, Dunstan's not the controlled man he was earlier no, showing no, no. everybody the card tricks like he was doing. Nope. The gloves like, are off. Slams her head down onto the table. Pick up the pen and sign the fucking paper. Yep. And then, you know, you got Joss Auckland and I'm sorry, it's come to this. Right. And I'm like going, well, in all fairness, man, he may be a dirtbag, but he gave her chances. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, she didn't want to sell. So now she's going to sell. <laughs> and what's so funny is, well, there's a great moment. I, mean, I We kind of like didn't talk about it earlier, but at the beginning stages when they're trying to just get her with, you know, with, with, with honey by saying, Hey, can you just sign this or you're going to lose your house? And that's when Sean Claude first steps in and goes, uh, you know what? You know, he's got a, you know, they can't fight. They can't kick you out of here. The, they can't foreclose on you. It's going to take right. 30 days. And then that time you're going to get a lawyer and that, 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 that's going to be months down the line. Basically chases off the lawyer that's trying to get this thing signed. And they don't have 30 days anyway, as we know, because they, it all has to be done. Everything. She's got to be out by the end of the month. But it's what I wanted to throw that out there to show the 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 two extremes. Oh yeah, the right the right way of doing it, and the hail way of doing it. And this is it, man. You go, and then she's after she signs the paper, she's then get the hell out of my house. You know, I was waiting for that line. I'm like, well, it's not your house anymore. But he goes, uh, no, we can't leave before the fire. And she says, what fire? <laughs> yeah, dude, right? I mean, yeah. Well, let, let the they let the dog off the chain, and now that shit is fucking gonna get real. But yeah, dude, that again. Perfect delivery from him on that line. Yep. It's not it's not over the top. He's not yelling it. He's just very matter of fact. She's like, what fire? And her response is awesome. What fire? Confused. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, like, what are you talking about? Oh, oh, God, no. Yeah, totally. And right as Sam, Sam shows up, we don't know he's there yet. No. You know, the thug that's been ordered to set the place on fire here, he sets lights his lighter right by the, uh, he's going to light up these drapes and then crashing through the window, Sam grabbing him and yanking him out of the house. Yeah. Shit goes down. Yeah. Shit goes down. And, you know, there's some ass kicking happening here over the next three minutes. And it's good stuff, too. And it's more of that non-Jean-Claude Van Damme type of fighting going on here. And so good, dude. It's like, it just feels like people would say something like to the effect of this is a cookie cutter movie and a cookie cutter action movie. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know that it is. I don't, I wouldn't say like that. You, you can't categorize. I, I think it's just a good old fashioned action movie and that's it. Yeah. I mean, at the heart, it's a Western. 100%. Yeah. And if, what I think was so great about it is how Jean-Claude recognizes that. I, I don't know who it was that got into his head or sat down with him and just say, look, dude, we, we put some serious acting around you. This is a chance for you to break away from this other stuff that people know you for. You want because every actor it doesn't matter if you got came up in a genre like this. Every actor wants to stretch their muscles. Oh yeah, absolutely. Re- reading a recent um, interview with Jean Claude, and now in his life now this is this interview is from like eight years ago. He, he's like, yeah, I'd love to work with the Scorseses and and the Nolans and those kinds of guys. He's going down a list of directors that he can see himself being involved in because he's matured and he's gone through some shit. Not unlike he probably did to this point, but man, I love this movie so much because Jean-Claude took it seriously. Oh yeah, totally. No, he's not, not, he's not a nod, nod, wink, wink. There's no tongue in cheek. He's not, uh, you know, he's not, he did a really great job of not falling into the John is a Jean Claude from Bloodsport or Cyborg. You know the thing that he he had at, up to this point, in my opinion, had kind of been repeating his you know Frank Ducks from Bloodsport, just in a different, um, you know, in a different arena, a prison or you know whatever. Uh, he really grabbed the ball and tried to run with it. I mean, you know, I don't know that the movie was a total success. I mean, it made twenty five million dollars, and I think it was fifteen to make, so it did make some money. But I feel like the world wasn't ready quite yet no. for this Van Damme. No, and I, and that's the thing is like you you mentioned a bunch of the movies that were the crux of why I never saw this. I thought, my gosh, this is another one of these, and it's got one of those awful titles. And oh gosh, this is gonna I won't bother with this. Now, obviously, if I would have taken the time, I, I mean, I knew Rosanna Arquette was in there, but I didn't know Aquaman was in it. I didn't know Ted Levine was in it. Like when you texted me before I'd seen it. And he said, "Oh, I forgot Ted Levine's the baddiness." I'm like, "Ah, oh, shit!" And I really want to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really fun movie, man. I mean, I don't want to say it's heavy on the drama and that Jean Claude should have been nominated for an award, but it you know, there's it's a it's a real movie. There's acting, uh, it's fun, it's it's brisk. Uh, you know, it's not over. They didn't try to get super cute. It's not super preachy. Um, but it fire I, to me, it hits all the it hits all of its checkpoints. And, and it, it fires on all the cylinders that you would want in this kind of movie. Sam ends up killing Dunstan. Uh, if you think he's dead. <laughs> right. Gets a little T2 uh, Terminator on him and he comes back and Mookie's there to save Sam. It's like, Sam. Sam. Mm-hmm. Here you get your, this is where you get your Shane moment. Yes. 
So then Dunstan's able to get, uh, Dunstan gets dispatched by Sam. And, and now, and then the cops show up. Then Hale gets arrested. And then Sam is being encouraged by Clyde, like, get out of here. You know, I can kind of hold them off. You got to go. And he goes, no, I'm done running. I'm like, well, do you have nowhere to run? So, yeah, you got nowhere to run. So he turns himself in. What are the things that may, okay, there's, I, there's nothing in this movie except for this one moment where I thought, oh gosh, how stupid. Um, and not realistic because the movie's pretty grounded. I don't, I don't find there's anything unrealistic happening in the movie at all. No, there's not no, at all. And that's what helps. That's the charm of it. But when Lonnie is taking him in, he's handcuffing him while they're inside the house. And he said, he goes, you saved a lot of, you saved a lot of lives. That's going to, that's going to carry some kind of weight or is that's going to be helpful or something along those lines. I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> you took money from this guy. Right. We didn't forget <laughs> whose side you're on. Cause you know that Adolf is going to totally rat him out. Dude, you're going to jail, dude. He should you're be cuffing going- himself. I thought that was just that one moment going, okay, that's kind of silly. And I appreciate that the, what they're going for there, trying to say, oh, like Lonnie recognizes now that he's a good guy. That line would have been fine if he wasn't on the take. Yeah, totally. So Sam turns himself in. The last thing he says to, to Clyde, he says, I'll promise I'll come back to you someday. Now, that's the, the Shane moment is, is that when he's walking off and the kids, Shane. Jane. Right. Poor little kids gets his heart broken. You don't get that moment in this. No. And I'm kind of glad they did. I kind of felt they did that moment. We got it earlier when the kid is, when we see Mookie in the barn and he's listening to, you know, when he's got his baseball glove and he's, he's listening to the recording, you know, I think we kind of get enough of it there. Right. I mean, if you're you can't just totally rip off Shay. You can't rip off. No. I mean, Clint Eastwood did it in, Pale Rider, <laughs> preacher. Uh, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it, and I also it kind of ends on an upbeat note, uh, but not upbeat like where you're a free man, Sam. Thanks for the help. Uh, you know, he goes off and does the rest of his stretch, and maybe he does come back to her. Yeah, it's so it's a moderately happy ending. Yeah, and then they then they finally sell the farmhouse, and then they go open up a a motorcycle shop. Yeah. Well, motorcycle and a bulldozer repair. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, we bury the empty bikes in the back. I got a bulldozer. It's great. Learn to drive that's in it. prison. Now, and that's something else too. You know, I guess he can claim self-defense against Dunstan for, for murdering that guy. You know, that's the only person he murders, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, is it murder if they're, you know, they're beating her and lighting her house on fire? You know, who knows what happens? Know. Nobody was there to witness it. He yeah, has, he but, yeah but, you can't, but he can't really lean on that. But you can't trust them. They're hoods. Like, yeah, but you're a convict, dude. Yeah, totally. So, But I'm anyway. sure there's a, there's a paper trail somewhere. Well, there's nowhere to run. Yeah, uh, Robert Harmon, I, 1993. Am I super bummed that I didn't see this beforehand? Like, yeah, but... I don't know if I would have appreciated it as much as I do now if if I would have seen it and then gone back to it. I, I for for me to watch a movie cold like this that's 27 years old and a movie that I had always suspected was just more the usual from him. Yeah, I, I I'm really impressed with how how simple of a movie it is and how not just simple but executed properly. I mean, you can have a really complicated movie that's poorly executed and it's a piece of shit. Yep. 
Absolutely. You can have grandiose ideas, but if you don't know how to execute it properly, then what's the point? Right. What do they call this? A meat, a meat and potato movie? Meat and potato movie. Yep. 100%. That was so good. I, mean, I really liked it. Everybody was really good in it. Even like I said, even the awkward, you know, dick moment in the pond is a little, you know, it's not, it's not super cringy. It's, it's just not super like, cringy. It's just that nobody would allow it to happen now. It's, but it's, it doesn't feel any less. No. It, it probably, is it any more or less cringy than it was probably back then when you saw it? I mean, for me, no. I mean, I always thought it was kind of goofy. I mean, I, they, you know, they're trying to play on the innocence of the whole thing, which is, you know, whatever. It's a little cringy. Um, it was a little cringy back then. Uh, but I guess it was setting up for all those penis jokes, right? Which, you know, apparently now you can't say penis in a movie because, you know, somebody will get upset. And I got to say something now just hit me. We've been talking about the ET aspect of it in the beginning. Heck, they even talk about ET, the red ball, that whole thing. There's penis talk at the dinner table in ET. Yes, absolutely. Gertie. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, who's the first one to bring up the penis in this? Brie, the little girl, the yeah. Gertie of the movie. Look totally. at that. Yeah. And uh, Sam is supposed to be E.T. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, that's what I'm saying. I feel like it was, it was written, you know, whoever wrote it, wrote it at a time when kids were probably more upset. It's probably, if that script was probably 10 years old by the time they made it, I would guess. But, uh, you know, the E.T. part of it works then. It, I mean, if they were to make it now, it obviously wouldn't be E.T. They'd call over the bones of something else. My dog Skip or something. I don't know. But, you know. <laughs> Skip. <laughs> Are you skip? Uh, but yeah, no, it totally works there. I mean, it's it's you know it's cute. It's got it's. I love the bouncing ball thing and the whole, you know, that backyard moment. It was cool. Uh, again, it's probably my favorite Van Damme movie. Um, I did see it in the theater because there was a point my my roommate at the time, Mike, one of my buddies from high school. Actually, maybe we weren't roommates. Maybe we were just. But like, I, I got drugged to several Van Damme movies, not drug, but I mean, he always, when they came out, it was just like, let's go. And this one, I was like, holy shit, man, that was like a, that wasn't what I thought I was going to get. Right. And, uh, you know, I've always liked it. It's fun. Yep. Now, Nowhere to Run is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good Lord. This is a total rent or buy situation. Unfortunately, there's a, with all the wondrous kick-ass things that are on stars right now, this one is not one of them. And they got a lot yeah. Of Jean-Claude on there right now. They do. Between that and Tubi. Yeah, I, mean, I was about to mention Tubi because I have to watch Double Team because Double Team is on Tubi. Yes. I mean, hopefully it's still there because... Of, you oh, know, it is. I just looked. It, it, it didn't leave. Good, because I need to see that again. That's a movie I haven't seen. I didn't see it in the theater. That's a movie I haven't seen since Laserdisc. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculously fun. Again, it, it has a lot in common. And I want to say it's probably because I feel like, again, it's like Sue Hark directed it, but it's very Hong Kong. It's got a lot of, uh, but it, it definitely has some game of death moments in it. Um, you know, not game of death, but to enter the dragon kind of vibe to it. The one scene in particular where Rourke and um, Van Damme finally square off. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme renaissance there on go. Uh, streaming sites everywhere. Whee. And by the way, if you get a chance to see it, watch JCVD. Oh, I love it. I think it's so good. Yeah. And that, that article that I was reading earlier that I mentioned was him promoting that movie at the time. I, I love that movie. It's so well done. And 
he, he really opens a vein in that movie and kind of faces some serious shit that some people aren't capable of facing in their life and, and, and recognizing their mistakes and their faux pas. And he, in that interview, I'll send it to you. It's really, oh, and I'll actually post the, the interview in the show notes too. He's really somebody that's grown a lot from, I had no idea that he remarried his third wife. Oh yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. He's been married five times. Uh, but after he divorced the fourth wife, he remarried the third wife. Huh. Um, and she kind of helped him get back on, on the straight and narrow. Cause he had a serious cocaine problem, which was, you know, kind of led him to his downfall where, well, he I think wasn't... it led to, yeah, I feel like it's what chased him out of studio films for sure. Because if you look back at the, all of the movies he made between like 90 and 95 up to time cop all made money. Big money. Right. Like, right. And that's what, that's what prompted universal to offer him a three picture, 12 mil per deal. Yeah. Totally. And then he was so full of himself. He said, no, I want Jim Carrey money. I want 20 million. And, uh, that's basically where he got himself blacklisted. That was kind of the beginning of the end for him. Yeah. I think like maximum risk might've been the last studio movie maybe. Yeah. You know, eight grams of cocaine a day will do that to you. Yeah, man. That shit. Cocaine's a hell of a thing. Just ask Rick James. Cool. All right. Well, dude, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, it, like I said, it's pr- it's my favorite, like just Van Damme movie. I mean, I like lots of them, uh, but I mean, th- for me, that's the one that kind of always. That was the one that made me like be like, yeah, I really do dig Van Damme. He's, he's doing some other shit, um, and it's fun. It's you know, it, it would be a good movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. If you if somebody said I don't like Van Damme, you could show them this, and maybe they would. Right. A lot of people said the same thing about what's so, you know, what's like, for example, what's a Bruce Willis movie that, oh, I don't like Bruce Willis. What's a Bruce Willis movie you can get people to into to watch if they've never seen it before? Yeah, totally. It's kind of like if it's kind of like when you're like, oh, yeah. And then you suddenly you see Bruce Willis do, uh, I mean, I, you know, it's funny for me, that movie of Bruce Willis maybe would probably be in country. Oh, I think that was the first movie I ever bought on Laserdisc where it wasn't an action movie. It wasn't science fiction. It was just, it's not the kind of movie that I was ever drawn to, but I was such a big fan of his. And I'm like, he's so moving in the movie. Yeah. Right. It's such a great movie. And, and Emily Lloyd, I think plays his daughter, yeah, right? Daughter, yeah. She's fucking fantastic. I don't know what happened to her, but. Oh dude, I miss her too. She was so good. Anyway. Well, there you go. That's nowhere to run. <laughs> nowhere to run. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Culp or the official at Karate Pod. Uh, what else we got? A letterbox at Corey underscore Culp. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can follow you and take care of that at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you want to follow Freddie, you can follow me at Raven Shattuck on Twitter, Rock and Roll the 33 on your Instagram, or at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. Cool, dude. All right, dude. Later.